Okay, time for the Word of God. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, oh Lord, we look to you and we look to the instruction of your Word and help and edification and encouragement in you, Father God, in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's go to... 1st John, that's the letter, 1st John, chapter 2, verse 1. I'll wait for you. I hope you have your Bible. Hope you have a pen or pencil so you can underline things, maybe take some notes. Praise the Lord. As Brother Bob said so many times, we're people of the word. Amen? Amen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only of, for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Praise God. As Sister Janet was just sharing with me, didn't she do a good job? Yes, so touching. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank God he made our problem his problem. The question then remains, how much of a problem do we make our sin in the church? And this morning I have a a third message to you called Sin in the Church, Sin in the Church Part 3. Last week wasn't part of that series, but it was. It didn't have the name. In a way, this is Sin in the Church Part 4. I confess to you in this series that in order for the church to be a home, the objective cannot be to make it a sinless place because it has never for a day been a sinless place. But for it to be a home, it has to be a place of forgiveness. And I may have been overzealous and overaggressive over all these years. I've been here since 1975 and in leadership in this church since the mid-1980s. I may have been overaggressive sometimes in trying to keep sin out of the church. Forgive me for that. But we still have the question, how much, of, how much do we make sin our problem? Our God has made it his problem. To what degree do we chip in? I'm not going to take away anything I said before, and there's no reason to be nervous or uptight about the title, Sin in the Church, because this morning's message, once again, will be encouraging. I want to... Um, make sure that you know that I, be- I really am committed to the things that I've been saying. First, let me make a mention about sin. There are some preachers who won't even use the word. There are some teachers that advocate not using the word because it does make a kind of tension rise up in people's hearts, maybe makes their heart beat faster and their respiration rate increase a little bit. Blood pressure rise. 
But I think we really need to have the word sin in our vocabulary and we need to talk about it and talk about it plainly and directly. I don't even like to substitute the word morals for commandments, ethics, morality, those kinds of words and discussions and topics. I don't like to put, put uh, talking about sin in that category of words. I think it is a category error because we are not searching for a morality apart from a person, and that person is God. Sin is sin because it's breaking the commandments of a person, the king, as Sister Janet just called him. We serve a king. He's a person. He has told us what to do. It is up to him to decide, not us. It is up to him to tell us the commandments and for us to obey the commandments. And for that reason, I believe that having the word sin as part of our vocabulary is actually very important. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking to you entirely out of the letter of 1 John. And this is written by John, and he was a caring elder in the church. In John, Second uh, John and Third John, he introduces himself by saying, the elder. On the other hand, this is not just a message for older folks. We have a lot of them in the church. We have a lot of younger folks in the church. We have a lot of children, and we have a lot of every age. The path to being an elder starts when you're young. And in his letter, 1 John, he uses the word sin a lot. Can you imagine? He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. There's no better word to use in that context than sin. Uh, I don't know if you heard the news, but recently uh, at a, in a cave by uh, the Dead Sea has been discovered an authentic photograph of the Apostle John. Here it is. Thank you for laughing. I was wondering if I, if I should wipe that joke out of, my, uh, out of my notes, you know, because nobody's saying, really? If you're saying now, really? Come and talk to me afterwards, okay? But I think this is really an appropriate uh, uh, representation of the Apostle John because the guy's old. He's an elder. And he's a pretty happy guy. And he looks like a good-natured guy. And he's got his dukes up. You see that? He's a fighter. And I believe that the Apostle John was a fighter. I can't wait to meet the Apostle John. The more I've studied his writings, the more affection that I've acquired for the Apostle John. He he says, "I'm I'm, I'm one that Jesus loved, and he put his head on Jesus' bosom. I think I'm going to put my head on Jesus' bosom, and then I think I'm going to put my head on John's bosom too. 
In the, in the letter, 1 John, he refers to the expectations that are for a Christian. There are Christian expectations, and he hits them hard. We'll be talking about that this morning. And he also stresses the importance of forgiveness. And it's a two-handed battle that he's involved in. This elder in Christ, this man who had seen so much. I've served the Lord longer than the Apostle Paul served the Lord. I think the Apostle Paul served the Lord something like 30, 35 years. I've been serving the Lord since 1975. And so have a lot of you. But I'll tell you, there aren't very many people in this world or in history that serve the Lord longer than the Apostle John. And today, I'd like to talk to you about this caring elder. John learned to work with two hands. On the one hand, the message that you will not sin. He said, I write to you that you will not sin. He was working on that, working toward that, that the church would be free from sin, that each individual would have sin put behind them. But at the same time, he had another fist up. On the other hand, he said, he is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. He says in his book, but if anyone sins, and he goes on. Let's look at this comparison between uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He uses the expression, my dear children, such a tender and loving elder in the church. But he uses his one hand, the hand of expectation, the one hand to fight, and his purpose is, is so that you will not sin. He's working toward that. He's extending himself towards that. He's exerting himself against sin in the church. But if you compare that with verse 12, he once again refers to his listeners as dear children, and he reminds them, Your sins have been forgiven. We need them both. Two hands. Expectations on the one hand and forgiveness on the other. The Lord doesn't want us to tie one hand behind our back and fight one-handed. He doesn't want us to lose our ideals, in other words. You can't live like hell and go to heaven. you got to put sin behind you. You have to exert your life and exert yourself to stop sinning. Sinning? Sinning as the Bible defines it. Sinning as God defines it. You got to stop boozing. You got to stop smoking weed. You got to stop fornicating. You got to stop carousing. You got to stop lying, cheating. You got to stop being lazy. You got to stop being selfish. We got to stop all that stuff. All that stuff is sin. And the apostle exerts himself against that with one hand. And with the other hand, he says, now let me tell you. If anybody sins, there's a way to forgiveness. There's a way to be clean. There's a way to be helped. Two hands. Expectations on the one side, forgiveness on the other. 
chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But verse 12, your sins have been forgiven. In between the two, it says, but if anyone does sin. Let's continue developing this two-sided message of the elder. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness, praise the Lord. It adds to this side. See, the, the, uh, the, there's two sides here. There's an expectation side, and there's a forgiveness side. And John develops both in this letter. He leaves neither one undeveloped. We can follow him. In chapter 3, verse... Six, we read, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Wow, did he just drop a bomb? What a statement. What an expectation. Oh, he's got his dukes up. Oh, he's packing a punch. Wow, he's putting a, he's giving sin a black eye. No one who lives in him, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Wow, how absolute. Dear children, once again, dear children. Uh, John says the phrase, dear children, nine times in this little letter. The Apostle Paul says it two times in all of his writings. And those are the only 11 times that that expression is used. Dear children. In other words, it's John's phrase. Nine times in this little letter. Interestingly, he also uses the word sin. More times, not more times, but in a higher concentration in his letter, 1 John, than any other book in the Bible. Higher concentration mean more uses of the word sin within X number of verses, within a thousand words, actually. And in, incredibly, not only does he use the word sin more times, in a, I'm sorry, at a higher concentration in this letter than any other book of the Bible, it is in a concentration twice as high as number two. He uses the word love at a higher concentration in this book than any other book in the Bible. Right there, it kind of holds the message, doesn't it? Love. I want to concentrate on love. I want to keep repeating love. I want you to know all about love. Sin. I want to concentrate on sin. I want you to know all about dealing with sin. I don't want you you to miss the truth about sin. I'll talk to you more about John's word choices in in his letter. Verse 7 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. 
because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I'm not so modern. I'm not so 21st century. I'm not so conditioned by my modern culture that I want to say, oh, we don't talk like that anymore. He who sins, he who does unrighteousness is of the devil. I don't want to talk like that anymore. We don't talk like that anymore. The Bible is a timeless book, and I have to tell you, I have seen this worked out in the lives of one individual after another, after another, after another. When they come to Christ, God sets them free from the power of sin. Can I hear an amen? Have you seen it too? I'm not elder stage yet. I mean, in terms of like, John, I'm still rather young and vibrant. But I've seen enough of God's power in the lives of people. So we can add now. Verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9 says, No one who's born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Praise God. Wow, he's he's expressing himself in very powerful ways here. Look at chapter 5, verse 16 for the other side. The other hand, the hand of forgiveness. Now, you won't see the word forgiveness here, but I'll show you. It says in chapter 5, verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Right? Is that clear? The sin... The sin I'm sorry, the sin does not lead to death. I lost my control here for a second. Does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. Oh wow. A sin that doesn't lead to death and a sin that does lead to death. Which ones lead to death? Oh, really bad stuff like murder. Which ones don't lead to death? Oh, little ones like white lies, greed, lost. You know, who doesn't have lost and lies and greed? No, it doesn't say that. And we'll talk about that a little more. It goes on to say, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Did you catch that? You're supposed to pray that God would give life to those who have sinned the sin that doesn't lead to death. But you should not pray like that for the one who commits a sin that does lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death and there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. Let me explain which is what is what. The sin that doesn't lead to death is the sin that you repent of. 
the sin that you fight, the sin that you hate, the sin that you try to get rid of. And you go before the Lord in humility and you ask him to wash you clean, forgive you, and give you strength to overcome that sin. That is the sin that will not lead to death. It might be a big sin. It might be a little sin in the eyes of this world. But sin is sin. All sin leads to death. But it won't lead to death if you repent of it. Here's my recommendation. If you sin, repent, repent really fast. Right away. Repent right away. Get on your knees if you got to get on your knees. Shed a tear if you got to shed a tear. But it's not only about feeling bad. It's also about turning away from it. Repent of your sin. And it won't lead to death. But if you don't care about it, if you don't fight it, if you surrender to the devil, if you surrender to your sin, if you're just resigned to your sin, that one will lead to death. Now let's go to the subject of prayer. He says, pray for the one who commits a sin not unto death, that he would have life. So you're going to know people in the church, your friends, your family, your brothers, your sisters, you're going to become privy to somebody's struggle with some kind of sin. When you see them fighting it, when you see them trying, when you see them bothered by it, when you see them doing their best to repent, in other words, when they have that one fist up, forgiveness, you pray that they would have the other fist up and be forgiven and have life. But if somebody doesn't care about their sin, if they're resigned to it, if they're just living in it, if they're maybe even advocating it, maybe even defending it and rationalizing it, don't pray for that person to have life. You can pray for that person, but pray for that person to repent. Pray for that person to see the light, to wake up and come to their senses. This is what John learned in his many years of working in the churches. He learned this. He was tempered. He was really tempered and moved by by the struggle of years and years. He hadn't lost his ideals. He didn't say, oh, I throw up my hands, I quit. I'm not exerting myself against sin anymore. Everybody sins. People don't care. What's the difference? I give up. I, I, we're not, I'm just giving in to sin. He didn't do that. He didn't lose his ideals. He didn't lose his expectations. At the same time, he was a realist. He, was, he had realism about him. He understood that, but if you do sin, you have to deal with it. You have to get, you have to get forgiveness. You have to go forward. You have to grow. You need the life of God. Look, if you don't get forgiven... And get the life of God to come into your heart. When you're battling with sin, you don't stand a chance. That sin is going to ride herd on you. You got to get with God. You got to get that barrier removed by the cross of Jesus Christ and go forward. And so John is definitely fighting with both hands on two sides.
two sides on the expectation side, but if anyone does sin, on the forgiveness side, in verse 17 here, John 5, 17, he says, all wrongdoing is sin, but there's a sin that does not lead to death. And we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Pray for that fighter, the person you know, the person you see fighting with sin. Pray that that fighter is victorious in their battle against sin. And that quitter... Oh, don't stop praying for him, but don't pray for him to be victorious. Pray for him to repent. The word sin, like I mentioned, is used in a higher concentration in 1 John than in any other book of the Bible. So is the word no. Let me come back to that. Uh, The use of the word Sin in 1 John comes in waves. It's not a topic from the first verse of 1 John to the end. It comes in waves, almost like the changing weather. You see a passage about sin in 1 John 1, 7 to 2, 2. Then you see another one in chapter 3, verse 4 to 3, verse 9. And then you see a third one in chapter 5, verse 16 to 518. Three uh, times in this little letter that sin comes in like, like a wave, like a cloud, and John deals with it. Now think of John as a church leader, but more than a church leader, an old experienced saint in the Lord. He's not only a church leader, but he's an old man. As I mentioned to you already, in 2 John, And 3 John, he starts out in verse 1 of those two letters, introducing himself as the elder. The elder to, and then he he tells who his letter is written to. He's seen a lot, and he's still fighting for the church. We got to fight for the church. We got to fight for the cleanliness of the church and the goodness of the church. We've got to get the leaven out, as we say. The church should be presented to the Lord without spot or wrinkle. But John had been at it for a long time. And I'm not saying that he couldn't have said all these same things. One, One fist, a knockout power fist, expectations in the Lord. No one who is in Christ continues in sin. Those are the expectations. Wow, what knockout power he's got there. But then he's got another fist and he, that's got knockout power too. It's got the power to knock out the penalty of sin, forgiveness. Expectations, forgiveness. I'm not saying he couldn't have said all these same things when he was young in the Lord. Just starting as a minister of Christ. But I can tell you that as an elder in the Lord, he had all the experience to back up these principles and to back up the need for it. Now you're saying maybe some of you who went to Living Word Academy and you're now in the middle age and you go, oh man, 
all this forgiveness stuff. Why? I was a little upset when I saw they all have LCD projectors in the classrooms. Why didn't we have those? Then I was a little upset when they had, you know, five things to choose for lunch. How come we only had two things to choose for lunch? But now that we're going to be allowed to have forgiveness as well as expectations, I want to go to the academy now. Now, there was a lot of forgiveness there. There was already a lot of forgiveness there. He's fighting for the church, probably for a certain church, or, and that, that would most likely be the church of Ephesus, or for a small group of churches in Asia. For instance, the seven churches of Asia. And so who's he writing to? A specific church in a specific situation that was under a threat. I'll talk to you about it in a minute. He's either writing to a certain church that is under that threat or a small group of churches that he knows of. I'm thinking the seven churches of Asia, although I can't say for sure. But that's okay, my brothers and sisters, because in some ways nothing changes. And in some ways nothing has changed. And in some ways our challenge in the 21st century is the same challenge that he had in his day. I mentioned to you already that the word sin is in a higher concentration in John's letter than in any other book of the Bible. I mentioned to you already that the word love is in a higher concentration. The phrase, dear children, is in a higher concentration. It's, it's sort of like John is, has a few words picked out and he just cycles through them over and over again like a preacher. To me, it's, it's the word choices and the word use of a, of a preacher. He has a higher concentration of the word no. And in fact, it runs all through the whole letter. From the first verses all the way to the end, you see the word no again and again and again. More, more, word, more of the word no in a uh, given size passage than any other book of the Bible. Light and darkness, more than any other book of the Bible. Higher concentration than any other book of the Bible. The Greek word meno, which means remain. Why did I choose to zero in on a Greek word instead of English? Because it's translated a number of different ways. If you read his letter in Greek, you would see meno, meno, meno. It's one time after another. There's a higher concentration of the word meno in this letter than any other book of the Bible. Being born. And it's always a reference to being born of God. It's not always used with the expression of God, but it refers in context to being born of God more times than any other book of the Bible. You're getting an idea here that uh, the Apostle John is like a Van Gogh. Piling on the rich, colorful paint. Just piling it on the canvas. In a very spontaneous way. You can see his brush strokes. So rich. Sin. Love. 
dear children, again and again and again. Very small vocabulary for the letter. But repeated and cycled over again and again. Love. Sin, as I mentioned to you. A lot of the richest paint of the deepest color. As an elder, there is, he has too much invested in the church. There is too much heart, heart there for him to use restraint. So he just piles on the paint and piles it on. The most expensive paint. I understand that Van Gogh's brother Theo was being, uh, you know, his budget was being violated by his, his brother Vincent's appetite for the most expensive paints in the world. I want more of that color. Well, Vincent, do you really need that color? It's the most expensive one in the world. Yes, that's the one I need. Okay, Vincent, whatever you need. And John is using sin. What a rich word. What a powerful word. Maybe we should use it with restraint. Oh no. He, he piles it on the canvas, John does. But then love. Love and sin. Right next to each other. In the same letter. So much. So rich. So full. Because this is the work of God. You will never make the church what it needs to be by making it sinless. It's not going to happen. You will make the church what it needs to be with two-handed fighting. Keep emphasizing the expectations and keep using forgiveness. Expectations, forgiveness. Expectations, forgiveness. Again and again. Lay it on thick. Like Van Gogh putting it on a canvas. We can break the bond of sin. And in the, in the letter of John, it's called overcoming. In as many years, John knows that sin can be handled with prayer and forgiveness. You can come to God and say, we failed. You need to be able to come to church and say, I failed and not get hammered for failing, but be forgiven, cleansed, and go forward from there. Is it true? Is it true? John the elder, who had his head on the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper, found this to be true. We failed. We fell. Are we done for? Are we dead? Is it hopeless for us? It can lead to that. But it doesn't have to lead to that. There's forgiveness and cleansing and growth. John accepts a two-fisted battle. And we must too. We're not perfect. We never will be infallible. And, brothers and sisters, we will never earn heaven. Your behavior is not the key that is going to unlock the pearly gates. 
There is one key that unlocks the pearly gates, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to open that door. On the other hand, we can't live like hell and go to heaven. We have to be in there fighting, in there swinging, in there trying, in there wrestling, in there praying. God is is able. The Holy Spirit can give you everything you need to succeed in Christ. He is not mindless of your frailty or your weakness. He is not mindless of your temptations or your your problems. He is not minded of your family uh, tendencies. He is not uh, mindless about the challenges of our modern culture. He is not mindless of all these things. His power is greater. He has overcome the world. He has overcome the devil. He came to destroy the devil's work and set you free. I have here now, in my notes, possible stop. I saw this coming. And so I would ask, if anybody feels the need this morning to renew your own fight, get back in there. Get back in the ring and start throwing punches, two kinds, the one punch that God, God expects more from me than what I'm, the way I'm living. God expects more, me to do better than what, the way I'm doing. But the other punch, there's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. The singers are already on their way up here. How come you're not already on your way up here? So I invite you, come on up and let's seek the Lord for a few minutes before we're dismissed this morning.